Hi, Willow Park Church. Thank you so much for joining us online. What a blessing it is to be able to gather this way. And as we gather together, let's prepare our hearts to how the Lord is going to speak to us through the worship and also through the word. We continue our journey in Daniel. What a powerful message uh, Daniel has proven to be. In a time of uncertainty, in a time of shifting and moving, we can know the truth that God is sovereign, that he is with us, that we can trust him and know that ultimately our hope is not in the kingdoms of this world, but our hope is in the kingdom, the kingdom that will reign from everlasting to everlasting. So good morning. Thank you for joining us. Let me pray. Father, we are so blessed to be able to join online in this way. And Lord, we pray that as we step into this service for each individual that is connecting with us, that they may experience a profound sense of Jesus within their lives. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the cross that has changed our lives. We thank you that this morning we can declare that God is good. We can declare that you have brought us home to yourself, that you came from from heaven itself, to come amongst humanity, to be human, simply to fetch us back to the heart of the Father. And Lord, I pray that as we worship now together, and I pray, Lord, as we gather, that Lord, you will be with us. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. What a week we've had. And 21 days of prayer, connecting online, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. It's been remarkable to have that level of engagement. One more week to go, as no doubt you are here. But this is a time for you not to back off, to step in, to push in, to spend that time connecting with God. Uh, I think many of us will agree that we need to be a church that is faithfully seeking God in prayer and fostering that closeness and that intimacy with Christ. And as we begin this, we're going to go over to worship. And as we worship together, may the Lord encourage you. Welcome Willow Park Church. Good to have you join us today. We're going to worship Jesus and uh, we're going to start off with your love awakens me. So if this is nine o'clock in the morning, your love is going to, God's love is going to awaken you. Okay, so let's get up. Let's praise Jesus and uh, worship him together. Awakens, awakens me. Your love is straight. 
out of the darkness and into your glorious light that you opened our eyes that you swapped out a heart of stone for a heart of flesh Father we are so grateful that you chose us that you before the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world you said that one's mine oh God what an amazing gift of salvation Father, help us to understand a little bit more of the mystery that means that we are children of God. And Lord, that we can see your grace in every season of our lives because of that salvation. Trust. 
Thank you, Zoe, for that worship, and thank you, worship team. Be thou my vision. I have always loved that hymn. Right from the day that I found the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, in my mid-teens, we used to sing that hymn. And then, of course, it was revised and beautifully uh, added to and really speaks of a filling your mind and filling your heart with a vision of God. I think that's so important today that we are a people that continually fill our heart with a vision of God. Even as we travel through our day and we go to work and wake up in the morning and fall to sleep in the evening, that we have that sense of continuous prayer, continuous awareness that God is with us that his peace surrounds us. As the ancient Celtic missionaries used to pray, that God was before you, God is behind you, God is beside you, God is above you and God is below you. That imagery that we know that he is with us, he surrounds us and he loves us. And that's a perfect thought for us as we step into communion. And as you take a moment and look at the emblems, uh, as you pick up your bread and hold your juice or your wine for this moment, we are reminded of the cost, the commitment, the sacrifice that God gave to humanity to come and to rescue us. 
to bring us home, to bring us back. I remember even as a young teenager sat in our little church, looking at the bread on the table and reminding myself that his body was broken for me. That every time that I came to the communion table, I would rededicate my life to Christ. That I would affirm that I would be a child of God and I would give everything to him. That I would not wander. And my prayer in those early years was simply this, Lord Jesus, keep me faithful to the end of my life to you. Forty years later, I still sense and know the power of salvation within my life. He's answered that prayer for 40 years. He's answered that prayer every day because I don't believe a day has passed in my life when I haven't woken up and thought about Jesus. Even through the most difficult of times, I've always, every day, had an awareness and a belief that Jesus Christ is my Saviour and my Lord. How about you? Maybe this is the moment where you, as you hold the bread, that you again hand your life over to Christ and ask him to meet with you. Remember what he went through on the cross, that he took it all for us, that he came to grab humanity and to bring us to safety, and that he was willing to take the full punishment of sin, willing, willing to be our sacrifice because of God's love. Father, thank you for the bread. Thank you for this moment where we can remember Christ. And Lord, we pray and thank you for it. And we pray in this moment that you will come close to us in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The body of Christ, which is broken for you, eat it in remembrance of him. I have to say that I remember also sat in that church watching the cup and in those days we used to pass around a large goblet a glass goblet from person to person and we used to drink of it and remind ourselves that we are only forgiven we are only clean we are only made whole we're only atoned for by the blood of christ and the blood of Christ speaks of forgiveness, of new beginnings. And so, Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. And Lord, as we rededicate or offer our lives over to you, we are blessed to be able to take communion. Thank you, Lord.
The blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. What a powerful message. The message of the cross. The message of salvation. The message that Jesus Christ comes and redeems us and saves us. And what a blessing that is. So now we're going to take a moment and see what is all taking place within Willow Park Church. Willow One News. And celebrate all of the great activities that are taking place. So please watch this and then... We'll be stepping into Daniel and the message that comes from Daniel for our lives today. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us today. Here is your family news. We are really excited about the marriage course a series of seven sessions designed to help couples invest in their relationships and build a strong marriage. This free course starts this week and couples can pick a time and day that works best for them. If you're interested, please register before Tuesday at noon. We are really enjoying seeing so many of you at our drive-in services each Sunday at Willow Park Church on Highway 33. Today, we have two drive-in services at 10.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. for Pursuit. There is no pre-registration required, but please arrive early as we are limited to 50 vehicles at a time. We look forward to seeing you there. Have you been enjoying our 21 Days of Prayer? If you haven't found a way to participate yet, it's not too late to join in. You can sign up for our daily prayer devotional emails or join us for an online prayer gathering every day at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. You can also submit your prayer requests to us on our website so we can pray for you. Learn more about all of these things at willowparkchurch.com 21 days. Join us next week, February 1st at 7 p.m. for our Willow One prayer. This is an opportunity to gather as an entire church family to seek God together and celebrate what God has done during our 21 days of prayer. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash willowoneprayer. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Good morning, Willow Park Church Mission family. It's good to be here with you this Sunday morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Jeremy. I look after our Lake Country campus, and I'm excited to be with you again this Sunday as we go through Daniel. Uh, I hope that you guys have had an awesome Christmas, great New Year's. It's been a while. I know we're like 24 days into this month already, but it's been oh a month since I've been up here and been able to speak with you. And so I hope it was a great time, uh, a quiet time. Uh, our family really enjoyed it. That it was just quiet. It was really peaceful. And uh, Kim and I were saying it was just a nice way to end a hectic year. Um, just being together as a family. We're like, well, you we were get together as a family for most of the year. But there was something different about Christmas, focusing on Christ, and just having this time of reflection and being together as a family. And so I hope that you enjoyed that in your homes too. 
Today we're working through Daniel, and uh, I'm going to be in Daniel chapter 2. And so if you want to turn to your Bibles as uh, you know, I just open up here, we'll be looking at the first section of Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 23. Uh, and before you know, we begin and hop right into this verse, uh, or these multiple verses, you know, I want to begin with a story. Um, in the 1990s, as part of a continued exploration on the planet of Mars, NASA, they launched this expensive $125 million unmanned space probe to Mars. And it was known as the Mars Climate Orbiter. I have a picture up here. There it is. Uh, it's looking pretty. You know, it feels like my kids can make it. When we got the, like, the saran wrap around it. And the, I mean, we'd have to get whatever those things are on the left there. But and it was basically a weather satellite that NASA, you know, wanted to send into uh, 400 or 40 million miles away to this big red planet called Mars. So it ideally would have entered into orbit, captured important weather data on the planet's and it would aid, you know, possibly future missions that hopefully they were going to he- head out to Mars. Unfortunately, the elaborate and expensive mission that NASA undertook, it ended in a complete, utter, and total disaster. When the orbiter arrived, to everyone's surprise, it actually propelled right into Mars' upper atmosphere, and it burned up, and it was totally lost, and the mission was a complete failure. But very quickly on the ground, you know, at the NASA database or, you know, wherever they... Oh, actually, I know where they were. Because, you know what? Last year, around this time, we were actually in Florida at NASA. I'm not sure if it was today. I'll have to look at my photos. Anyways, they began to realize what the problem actually was. To NASA's embarrassment, it was completely... It wasn't something completely highly complex and out of their control. Instead, the problem boils down to a simple mathematical error. Someone in this highly skilled and intelligent group of engineers and scientists and mathematicians, you know, some of the world's brightest, some of the world's smartest, some of the geniuses who were overseeing this mission forgot to do one simple thing. They forgot to convert feet to meters. They forgot to go from imperial to metric. And so we were all like, you know, if Americans would just stop being so stubborn and they would be like the rest of the world and finally commit to the metric system. As an American, I apologize um, for this $125 million disaster. Um, You know, this problem wouldn't have happened. This is shocking, right? Shocking for a group, this kind of group of this caliber. It is something you basically can calculate on your phone, something you can just make happen in your phone. Worse than that is that it was an error that nobody caught in the planning process, and nobody caught in the more than nine months leading up to this probe actually going into space. So this is intense complexity requiring the collective wisdom of some of the best and the brightest minds that are out there. And yet even after all this wisdom available to this mission available to the contractors, to available to NASA. In the end, it crashed and it burned. When we open up Daniel 2 this morning, we learn that apparently all the resources and wisdom and knowledge in Babylon were also there available to King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, right? Nebuchadnezzar, he led a flourishing kingdom with armies and servants and counselors and whatever he might need was at his you know, disposal. Yet for everything that the king had access to, everything that he had his, the possibility to grasp, that he, that he could have his fingertips on, 
everything that was designed to secure his reign and to prop up his empire. We meet a king in this text who's anything but secure in the wisdom of Babylon, in the wisdom of all the world. Instead, we meet a king who is deeply insecure, a king who is unsatisfied even with all the collective wisdom that Babylon has to offer and who is petrified that his kingdom is going to crash and burn as well. He's very worried that this, you know, Mars orbiter is going to be his kingdom. We see in this chapter that God came to a weak and powerless king who lacked wisdom and understanding. Now, by this world standards, right, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he is considered both wise and powerful. He would be like the mighty kingdoms that we see today and we prop up. But Paul reminded us that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But God chose to demonstrate his almighty power and his unfathomable wisdom to a man who is inebriated with his own lust for power and wisdom in order to show him that how foolish he really was, how foolish this kingdom he thinks was all-powerful was. He shows that he is the source of all this wisdom that we need. So, through these first 23 verses of Daniel, we're going to see this trend that helps us, you know what, navigate life. And we're going to walk through this together. This text, you know, it shows us, right, the powerlessness of the wisdom of this world, of Babylon, and the power of God's wisdom. And so, before we read this text, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you, Lord, knowing that you are all-powerful, that you are the wise one. And the beauty is is that we have this relationship with you, Lord, that we can um, tap into this wisdom, Lord, that we can look through this world through a different lens. Lord, as we work through this scripture, Lord, today, we ask that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to what you want to speak to us, Lord, because as we open your word, as we listen to it, Lord, the reality is you want to do something within our lives, and we don't want to miss it, Lord. I want to leave today different than when I started this message. I just don't want to be something I heard, some good facts. I want it to really come into my heart to transform me, to make me more of a weapon for your kingdom, Jesus. Lord, we're being refined. And Lord, this is a refining moment today, Lord, as we come together. So we pray that you open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. I'm going to read these uh, out. And you know, if you have your Bible, you can follow along. Uh, but we're going to see that there's this problem that is going to take place in this chapter. And then through this problem, we're going to see a response to it. And this is how we are going to respond as we navigate life and the problems that they bring. And so here's the problem. It laid out in Daniel 2, 1 to 16. And it says, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the astrologers to him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, Sorry, I lost my place there. I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. 
Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. That's a nice, I don't know, greeting as we, if someone greets me, my kids don't say, May the dad live forever. Maybe they will now as I've read this. Um, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. This is pretty intense here. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honors. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. They're begging a little bit here. Like, yeah, we'll interpret it, but please tell us, please. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. They're like, this is crazy what you're asking us. It's unfathomable. There's nobody who can do this. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander and the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officers, why, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Let's look at this a little bit more, dive a little bit deeper. So we learn the text right here at the beginning that right now, this is the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So commentators and historians note that in the second year of his reign, at this point in his administration, the king has quite a bit on his plate. There's a lot going on. He already defeated Egypt, a cultural and military superpower of that day. And at the same time, he subjugated a variety of other people, including Judah, under his reign. So he was conquering. He was doing a lot of things. He was also facing this mounting resistance as he sought to expand the borders of his kingdom further and further in ancient um, Near East. And so this is what happens, right? When you become so big, you know, now there's forces against you. So there's a lot happening for our old friend here, Nebuchadnezzar, in the second year of his reign. And he's focusing on building and expanding his kingdom. He's in this just focus on gaining more and more power. His narrow focus right now. And all of this is going on in his life. And we learned that one even, right? He has this dream as he falls asleep. But this dream is so disturbing that he cannot sleep. When he wakes up, he's compelled to summon all the experts in this kingdom and help make sense of what he just experienced. He needs help interpreting his dream. And at this point in, in the narrative, right, we as the reader, we don't know actually what this dream is. We don't know what's actually taking place. We have the ability, right, to read the next chapters really quickly to see what has happened. But at this moment, let's live in this. He, like, we don't know what's happening. I don't know the dream. I'm, I'm just like the enchanters. I don't know what Nebuchadnezzar has, has dreamed up. 
But whatever it was, he sees that it's so significant that he needs some help. So he summons a group of the collectively that represent the best that Babylon has to offer. The Chaldeans, the enchanters, and the sorcerers. And these are the people in Babylon who are considered the most wise. This is the council that a king would call to himself in order to make sense of things that were really significant, such as this dream. So when they came before the king, they were confident in their abilities to appease him what he might ask. Right? They came with such confidence. Oh, you king, right? That wonderful statement. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. We're all wise. Tell us this dream. We've got this. But Nebuchadnezzar makes this, really this impossible demand. He demands that they interpret the dream, but also makes it known to them that I'm not telling you the dream. I'm not telling you actually what I've thought about or what has come to my mind. In other words, because Nebuchadnezzar senses that this dream you know, has such significance, whatever it is, he wants to make sure the people that he calls wise, you know what, they aren't counterfeits. And the only way to able to do this, the only way that he's going to be able to trust them, the only way that he's going to trust what they're going to tell him of, his interpretation, of their interpretation of his dream was if actually they had the wisdom to know what the dream was. So the council, they know that this is impossible. Yet despite politely informing the king, Sir, we can't quite do this for you. I'm sorry. Nebuchadnezzar, he gets very agitated. He gets irritated. The council that he's surrounded by grows more and more helpless. And they try to maneuver around his demand. And finally, the Chaldeans, they're like, tell the king that there's literally no man on earth who can meet these demands. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with us. But this is very true, like how right they were. No human being has the wisdom and power to tell a man his thoughts as well as to interpret those thoughts. Right? Paul, in 1 Corinthians 2.11, he says, Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Right? right now, like it's true, I only know what I'm thinking. I have no idea what anybody is thinking right now around me except, you know what, possibly Glenn. He's probably looking at me right now at my shirt, and he's probably like, that's a really nice shirt. Where did you get it from, Jeremy? Glenn, I got it from H&M. You have your size, I'm pretty sure. I'll let you borrow mine. But the Chaldeans, they continued, and they say, the thing that the king asks is so difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with us in flesh. But for a man bent on conquering a, a world, conquering everything around them, a man who even considered himself a god, for a man who, even na- who is even named after the Babylonian god of wisdom, those answers, they're not suffice for Nebuchadnezzar. He is enough, and he calls for all the wise men to be destroyed. He doesn't trust them, and he's not going to take no for an answer. We see that all the resources of wisdom that good old Nebuchadnezzar had at his disposal, in the end, the wisdom of Babylon can only produce insecurity, anxiety, anger, when it's relied upon to address the big questions of future that are weighing heavy upon the king. And how true is this of our world today? We look at our world for the wisdom. We look at our world for guidance. Right? We can look around our world right now 
And a lot of people, are, they, they want a new person to look after their kingdom. And hopefully their wisdom will help bring some sort of, in, some sort of security to their insecurity. But it's not enough. It only produces insecurity, anxiety, and anger. I think those are three great words to describe how our world's feeling right now. Insecurity, anxiety, and anger. When we are bent on extending our kingdom, when we're bent on growing us, when we tend to encounter insecurity then, and we tend to encounter anxiety, and we tend to encounter anger, right? When we are focusing solely on us, we want what's best for us. And these three feelings, insecurity, anxiety, and anger, then follow us too. Maybe you're experiencing these emotions right now. The question you might want to ask yourself is, is, am I too focused on myself? Or actually, am I focused on the kingdom of Christ? Because when we read this story, when we look at it, we like to place you know, ourselves in the characters of the story, right? My kids, when they watch a show, this is constantly what they do. They'll watch Sonic, and Zion will be like, oh, I'm Sonic. And then Jude will be like, no, no, I'm Sonic. Then Malachi is like, obviously, I'm Sonic, because I'm the oldest. And so this is constantly what happens. We constantly place ourselves in the characters of the stories that we read, right? My kids with Sonic. My kids with the Lego movie. They all want to be Everett. Sometimes, you know, they've watched The Grinch, and what dawned upon me as I watched The Grinch is like, they didn't want to be The Grinch, but it's like, the reality is, like, we're actually kind of like the Grinch. Like, our hearts, you know, before we met Christ, they were three sizes too small. And then, you know what, we had this experience, and then it grew. Anyways, but we hear Nebuchadnezzar, and we are like, you know, I'm not that guy. I'm not Nebuchadnezzar. Like, I'm Daniel. But in the story of salvation, we are actually like Nebuchadnezzar. Sometimes we want to rule over our lives. Sometimes we go off of our wisdom. Sometimes we act out of our insecurities. Sometimes we react abrasively and make wild requests like Nebuchadnezzar. We, like Nebuchadnezzar, need humility. This is Daniel, and this is the story that we're talking about. We want to mimic Daniel, and we want to take those qualities that we see in Daniel, apply them to our lives. But we need to realize that the story of the Bible is about Jesus coming to save us. And so, in humility, we need to look at some of those people who cause pain. Because before Christ, we, we were separate. We, we were trying to work off our own wisdom. We were trying to work off our own insecurities. We were trying to rule over our own lives, like Nebuchadnezzar. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, this is about Daniel, and we want to be encouraged by Daniel, and we want to act like Daniel, and we want to take the things that we see in Daniel, and we want to apply them to our lives. But let's not forget the fact that we were broken before we came to Christ. Now, the Chaldeans, they were half right about, you know, there's no God here on earth in the flesh that can do this. They were right Half right. It was true that God alone could only reveal the mystery, but the sages did not know is that the Spirit does live among them. But the wise men of Babylon did not have the Spirit of God living in them, so they could not interpret this dream. They were weak. They were powerless to do what only God can do, the big God. 
And as I mentioned, this, king, this made the king so angry that he ordered the execution of all the men of Babylon. And this is where we meet the problem. This is the big problem. That included Daniel and his three friends who were in the service of the king. Arioch, the, the commander of the king's guard, went out to put the wise men to death when he came upon Daniel. So when Daniel was told that he would be executed, he didn't respond with this defensiveness and anger, but he spoke to the commander, who it says, with such wisdom and tact. How do we approach a problem with somebody that we know? How do we approach the problems that we face in life? Are we accusatory? Are we a bit of a loose cannon? Do we freeze up and we can't move? Or are we angry? Our family, we faced the problem this week, and I'll touch on it at the end, but with carefulness and good taste in conversation, we can make our enemies at peace with us sometimes. And we come with peace and wisdom and tact. This is something our world really needs right now. They need us to come with wisdom and tact in the midst of problems. There's such division in conversation and a response to the problems that our world is facing. And sometimes we can be very coming at, like with such a matter of fact, with no wisdom and no tact. And we come as looking for a fight. But our world needs us to come with a peaceful spirit, with wisdom, and the words that we're going to speak. And the sad reality is a lot of Christians are not practicing wisdom and tact in conversation as we look throughout our world. Daniel, he spoke with his potential executioners. Why is the decree of the king so urgent? When the commander told the story of Daniel, Daniel asked for more time so that he might interpret the dream. And Daniel was able to convince the executioner to give him more time. He was able to be like, hey, let, I think, like, give me some more time here. This is pretty impressive, right? Because the executioner, if he's not going to carry out his job, he's going to get executed. He comes back and he goes to the king, I couldn't do it. What do you think the king's going to do? The king just actually ordered everybody to be executed. You think he's going to be like, oh, that's okay. That was kind of, that was a big request. That's okay, little man. No, he's going to be like, well, get out of here. And the reality is, is somebody, he's going to get executed somehow. And so now we see the problem that Daniel's facing. People are going to die. People are getting executed. He and his friends included in this possible execution. Through this problem, though, through everything that they're experiencing, we see this response to Daniel. He was able to get some time. We see this, this wisdom intact that he comes into, you know, the person who wants to kill all of the wise men. He's able to buy time. He says, let me, just give us a little bit of time. And he goes, and then we see in this next section of Scripture what he does. Daniel two sixteen to 19. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Daniel knew the only way to attack this problem, the only thing that they had uh, in response to this problem was prayer. 
We're doing our 21 days of prayer, and I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you are engaged with it. And we're reaching today, day 15. You know what? We might feel a bit burdened by our, you know, coming each and every day, but I can't, I urge you to push on. Because I've been reminding of this verse in Mark chapter 9, where, you know what, the father, he comes and he brings his son who is possessed by a demon to the disciples. And the disciples, they were actually able to cast him out. And then this man, he sees Jesus and he comes to him and he's like, hey, can you do this? Can you actually cast out this demon out of my son? And Jesus like, if it's possible, of course it's possible, I can. And he does. He simply just speaks and this demon leaves. And the disciples and Jesus, they're having this time of of, you know, catch up aftering, you know what, the meeting after, what happened, what could we do better? And they're like, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus like, the only way these, these type of things can be cast out is by prayer. But the reality was Jesus didn't like say this massive long prayer. He didn't say, in the name of my father, demon be gone. He just spoke it. He said, flee. What he, Jesus was saying that this attitude, this uh, lifestyle of prayer is how we see this power here on earth. And so I've been thinking, like, how does this work? And as like a a phrase for us, well, when there's no prayer, there's no power. And if we want to experience the power of Christ in our lives, there needs to be prayer. And in this section, Daniel shows us the power that comes through prayer. A couple of things to point out. Verse 16 states that this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. This just wasn't just a stalling tactic. Daniel knew that it takes time to listen to the Lord and to wait upon him. And Daniel was willing to take the time if the king was going to grant it. So in the time of seeking God in prayer, Daniel shows that it takes time and takes time to wait in prayer. In this situation, it's dire. And it's not a rushed thing still, though. This is a dire situation. People could die. Daniel and them could die. But he recognizes that they needed time to sit in, to focus on God. And this should encourage us that we shouldn't treat prayer as a rushed thing. You know, I did my prayer. I said it in the morning. I, you know, I woke up. I read my Bible. I had my two minutes of prayer. And that was it. No, we should take time. For those, 21, for those three things that you are praying for, it should take time spending in prayer. That's why we've created these hours in the morning, in the evening, so you can just sit and focus in prayer. This isn't something that's rushed, but something that they will dwell on, Daniel, and discern and seek the Lord. See, intimacy, it takes time. Conversation, it takes time. Discerning, it takes time. Not only that, but we see in this text that Daniel went and he went with a community of people to pray. This week, somebody came to the church office and they rang the doorbell and they asked for prayer. And so I was there and someone came and grabbed me and I had this time of prayer with this lady. And what she was doing was that she just found out that her friend had cancer. And she was like, well, I was just leaving and heading back home. And I was like, well, I said I'll stop at the church to get people to pray. And so then she gets me to pray. And then as we're leaving, she's like, well, I'm about to stop over at somebody else's house. I know that they pray too. And I'm going to get them to pray for this lady also. And so so here is this lady recognizing that, you know, a prayer, yes, individually in her life, but prayer as a community is so key for when we're praying for things. And that's why, again, we're continuing to have this 21 days of prayer and asking, you know, if you have prayer requests, send them in. Because when there's a community of believers coming together, praying for one thing, the body of Christ moves and functions in the way it was as one. 
And so there is pr- power as we pray together. There is power as we come with requests, uh, and I bring them to my family, and I bring them to my friends. So I'm like, hey, can you pray this for me? The battle Daniel is in, and the battles that we face, they're won through prayer. And the beauty is that we get a glimpse from Daniel on how we are supposed to pray. We see Daniel, he prays desperately. See, we are utterly desperate for God's help. In our culture, we promote, you can do it. Like, you can do this. You got this. Which is great to encourage people, you know, as they push in and challenge themselves. But in relationship to God, this is actually deadly because apart from him, we can't do anything. If we're not praying, we are quietly confident that we can do things on our own. If you're not taking that time to pray. Listen, Daniel, he felt the urgency. They felt their their helplessness. And they knew that only God was great enough to perform such a miracle. They knew that only God could do this. I think the reason we don't pray more faithfully and fervently is because we don't feel the urgency sometimes. You're like, well, my life's not being threatened. Well, you know, if we're not praying, actually our life, it's slowly kind of a... There's distance then between us and God, and that's actually very deadly. We tend to be self-sufficient, and we don't see our God as big enough. We don't feel that desperation. Listen, we have self-help books on parenting, on books on how to start a business, on how to do your jobs better, and these are great, but these sometimes keep us away from utterly coming to God and saying, hey, listen, I need your help. Listen, I'm in this stage of life parenting four kids, four of the most rambunctious, beautiful, fun kids that I, you know, I could ever ask for. We have tons of books on parenting, how to parent our active boys, how to keep ourselves alive in this time, how to teach our kids to love devotions. Actually, you know how to keep our kids alive too because, man, they're dangerous. And so this isn't bad, but it, it can actually keep us from coming to Christ. It actually can keep us from coming to Christ and praying for our kids. The best picture in the Bible of a good parent is when Jairus brings his little daughter to Jesus and he says, I can't help her, but you can. She is sick and I can't help her. You're the only one. You have to do it. I can't. This isn't simply a picture of Jesus being the only one who could heal her or help her, but a picture of a father realizing that he constantly needs to bring his kid to Jesus. That's, the, that's what we should take, that we constantly need to bring our things to Jesus. I need to bring my kids to Jesus. I need, we need to bring our businesses to Jesus. We need to bring, you know what, our family members to Jesus. Daniel, he teaches us to pray boldly. This request is bold. Think about this request, to know the interpretation of the dream and to know the dream. God, I need to know the details of this, and I need to know them Father, tell me. Interpreting your dream, right, is a feat unto itself. But having the knowledge of the dream without being told, that's a bold request to come to God. I'm reminded of a verse in Luke that talks about prayer. And you know, I was encouraged this week as I had prepared this. And then if you're getting the 21 days of devotional, Michelle had put this section of scripture in her devotional. And it's like, yeah, this is good. This is what I feel we're building upon here. And it's in Luke 18, 1 to 5. And it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The crazy thing that Jesus says after this is like, this is like praying to God. This is like praying to God. Like, wait a minute. You're saying that God is like a grumpy old judge who doesn't really care and only gives this woman what she wants because like, she won't stop annoying him? But Jesus' point, you see, is not to compare God to this judge, but to contrast him with, him, with the judge. He's saying, even if an unrighteous, selfish judge would grant answers because of persistent asking, how much more will your heavenly Father, who does love and care for you and constantly watches over us, give us what we need when we persistently come to him and we ask? This woman is coming with an extravagant, bold request. And to the stingy judge on top of it, and the judge grants the request, How much more would a loving God grant that bold request to us, his children? See, the woman approaches as a stranger, but we we come to him as the beloved children. She had no right to claim in court. We have the blood of Jesus by which we come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come boldly before this throne. Let's go back. The judge we approach is not one who doesn't care about justice or us. No, the judge we approach is a father who cared so much about us that he climbed out of his judge's chair and satisfied the demands of justice so he could share with us the riches of his kingdom. This is the God that we can come boldly to. Some of the boldest people in my life, my kids. I love talking about my kids, as you can probably see. This is the stage I'm in. Stories, just, they just flow out. But my kids, they ask for the boldest things. Like the other day, Jude asked for a pet cheetah. Um, Zion, Malachi yesterday, he asked me for a Lamborghini. Uh, or no, Malachi asked me for a Lamborghini. Zion, he asked me if he could change his name to Mario. Like these are some of the boldest requests. My kids, they come boldly to me with these requests because they 100% believe that I can grant these requests. And you know what? I cannot. And But... They are so bold and they're persistently coming to me and asking for me, asking me for these things. And we can come to Jesus, not asking for cheetahs, Lamborghinis, or to change our name to Mario, but we can boldly come to him in these 21 days of prayer for the request that he, we have been laid on our hearts. The other night, Jude, he came right into my room when I was asleep and he got right into my face and he said, Dad, I need a glass of water. Let's say if Glenn walked into my house and got right into my face in the middle of the night and asked me for a cup of water, he's probably going to jail or he might get a swift punch to the face. This is like Glenn's not invited into my home at 2 a.m. to ask me for a cup of water while I'm sleeping. Sorry, Glenn. Don't do it again. Um, (laughs) But I love Jude and want to be a good dad. So what do I do? I pretend I'm asleep and I hope that he goes to mom. No, I was kidding. I... He asked me, and I get up, and I give him a cup of water. My son, my, my kid, Jude, he can come, boldly come to me at 2 o'clock at night and ask me for a cup of water because I am his father. 
How much more can we do this with Jesus? We can boldly come to him at any moment of any day and we can ask him. And he hears our request. This is how God tells us to approach him. We are children invited to God's room at any moment of the night and we can come to him with whatever we need and whatever we, ha- we want to ask him. We do, not, we do not need to come as beggars. We can come to him as children. Daniel teaches us to pray persistently. I'm just going to start wrapping this up here. Daniel and his friends didn't stop praying until they got the answer they needed. How long do we pray for? Are we persistent in our prayers? Do we continue to push through? This passage signifies that the vision came to Daniel in the night. And so what they're saying is they're making us aware that the vision came at a different time of the day. Daniel and his friends, they pushed into a time of prayer and were not willing to stop or leave the room until they got an answer. They were there. They were committed, persistently praying. This reminded me of when Peter was in prison. He didn't stop until he was released. He just kept praying. When we stand before the throne of God with unrelenting, persistent prayers and say, you are the only one who can help. When we are like Jairus and we bring our kid and we're like, you're the only one who can help. When we come to Jesus at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night and we're like, I need this, Lord, I'm coming to you with this bold request. We consistently can do this with our Father. Will you continue to be persistent in praying for healing, salvation, freedom, redemption, hope? Because you can. We see stories in the Bible that say you can persistently, boldly come to me. Daniel shows us to continue to pray, to continue to push in. Now I want to close off with how this progression that we see that I talked about on how we can handle and deal with things that come to us in life. In life, I should have a couple, a sip of water. We see that there is a problem, right? There's a problem. Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to have every, all of the wise counsel killed because they can't interpret his dream and tell him of his dream. Through this problem, Daniel recognizes, what can I do? And he goes to God in prayer. And then God gives the interpretation, and he gives the dream. And then the next thing we see is that he praises God. And we see that in this last section. Daniel 2, 19 to 23. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. When Daniel, he's been given the wisdom of this interpretation of this dream, he doesn't just automatically run and go to Nebuchadnezzar in fear of his life, running down the street. I've got it, Nebuchadnezzar. I've got it. He realizes who had given him this interpretation of this dream and the dream. And he stops, even knowing that, you know what, they might come and kill him at any moment. He says, I'm just going to praise you, God, for what you've done. 
It's going to praise you for what you've done in, our, in, in this moment. He actually, he's trusting that God has given him, obviously, the right one, because he still has to go to Nebuchadnezzar with this, but he knows his God is good. He knows this is true. He gives thanks to the God who gives gifts of wisdom to his servants. But what Daniel discovered that is most amazing is that God is willing to share some of that wisdom and power with simple and helpless people to bring glory to his name. Daniel prayed, To you, O God, my Father, I give thanks and praise. Like, everything just seems to like, come to a screeching halt in this moment, right? The story is like building up, building up, building up. And what's going to happen? And then everything just stops, and he praises his king. He praises God for his power and rule. Daniel knew from Isaiah 40 to 24, with a, written a hundred years before his birth, that God alone has the power to raise up kings and dispose of them. And we need to take comfort in this time as we look at our world. And we're, so many are like, oh, you know, there's a new president and this is what everything's going to fall apart. We have to recognize that God is in control. He looks after those things. He's looking after who's in charge. Let us stop wringing our hands over, you know, at national elections and get on our knees praying for those in leadership as we are instructed to do in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. We need to be praying for our leaders. Daniel praises God for his wisdom. He praises God because God knows hidden things such as thoughts of men which can be kept from other men. Nebuchadnezzar kept his dream a secret, but he didn't keep it a secret from God. And God, in all of his wisdom, shared that with Daniel. God praises God, Daniel praises God for his revelation. Daniel was thankful and confident in the revelation he received from the Lord, and he praises him for it. We see this progression that we take in life. When we have a problem, we can come to God in prayer. And then as we have prayed and as we've seen answers to these prayers, we would take time to praise him. Listen, I'm just going to close with this quick story. Um, this week, my wife, uh, she was at the park on Thursday. Uh, she, when she got to the park with Evie, she took off her purse, put it in the, in the van, and hid it under the seat. And she closed the door, locked the door, and she went to, with Evie and played in the park. Somebody must have been watching uh, this take place, and they broke into our van, stole my wife's purse. Uh, they went on a shopping spree, uh, spent over five thousand some odd dollars and some something like that. We faced this problem. We were frantically closing off cards and everything like that. And this is Thursday around lunchtime, and you know my wife, she's a bit broken. She's a bit, you know, what she feels vulnerable. You know, she feels, you know, she's going through all these emotions. And she's supposed to lead prayer Thursday night. And I'm like, you know, she has all the excuse not to. And I'm preparing in my mind to come and lead this. But she's like, you know what? I, I need to do this. I'm going to go lead prayer. She saw this problem. She was facing this problem. But she went exactly to where she needed to go. And she prayed. Prayed. Because she didn't want whatever she experienced to take root in her heart, unforgiveness or anything like that. And she prayed. Then she got home, she felt better, and we just thank God then for, you know, that they didn't try to take it off her, or, you know, they, neither of them were hurt, two ladies at the park. You know what? And we praise him for his provision in certain areas. We're all facing problems. We're all looking at life, and we see things, and I, I know I've gone 44 minutes, and I'm sorry, but I hope you've loved every 44 minutes of this.
But I encourage you, as you face the problem, to come in prayer, to engage in these 21 days of prayer. And then at the end, let's praise him together. I'm just going to close in prayer. Father, I thank you for what you show us in Daniel. Lord, that we can come to you in bold, persistent prayers. And Lord, that as we boldly come to you, as we persistently come to you, Lord, you hear them. You want us to come as your children. We pray for we continue to engage. Lord, as we face problems in our life, we continue to focus on you, recognizing that we don't want to be the rulers of our life. We want you to be the ruler of our life. We don't want to be like Nebuchadnezzar. We want to be like followers of you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for tuning in.